Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, hackers have stolen 41 million, billion, no, million dollars worth of Bitcoin from Binance. Binance, that's a good word, isn't it? I wonder how they made that name up. (laughs) From one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. And it's the latest in a string of thefts from cryptocurrency exchanges around the world. The Food Standards Agency has proposed that food outlets should list all ingredients in order to protect customers with allergies. And hundreds of Uber drivers have... um, Striked over paying conditions in London, Birmingham, Nottingham, Glasgow, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. Oh, well done. <laughs> and also, uh, hot off the press, press, the National Grid have said that Britain's electricity system has been coal-free for the entire week for the first time since the Industrial Revolution. Wow, that's a big story, isn't it? That's a heck of a story. I need to know more about that. But anyway, we're not talking about that this week. This week, we're looking at data privacy breaches. And this was inspired by um, HMRC recording telephone conversations and not getting permission. Now, they've begun to delete these, uh, the voice data that they've collected unlawfully from 5 million UK taxpayers, but they are planning to still continue to use the voice ID system despite this controversy. Now, the Information Commissioner uh, has ordered the HMRC to delete the data after conducting an investigation in response to a complaint from civil liberties and privacy campaigning organisation Big Brother Watch. I think I'd be worried if Big Brother was watching me and then reporting me to the ICO. But that it's quite a big thing, actually. And I, I'm a bit disappointed in a way, I've got to say, a public organisation to get GDPR and data privacy wrong. That, that seems quite hurtful to me. All the effort that a lot of private companies have gone into and HMRC have breached it big time. So the ruling was that the HMRC had breached the General Data Protection Regulations, which came into force last May, which were propping up the older, more outdated data privacy uh, law. And they failed to give customers sufficient information about how their biometric data would be processed and giving without giving them chance to give or withhold their consent. So it's interesting. They've got until the 5th of June to comply. So so that made me, me think, Heather, there's, like, there's an awful lot of... Um, organizations put a lot of work in but the um, ICO have also started to up their game a little bit I had a look on their website and I don't know if you've noticed they've got a section which talks about all the enforcements and the penalties and prosecutions that they've done yeah did you have a look there I I had a quick look at those um what what I thought was interesting was the amounts in terms of the size of the organization and and this you know what is what constitutes a big breach i mean obviously five million um data files you know that's quite a considerable breach uh but small breaches versus large breaches small organizations versus large organizations the type of data that is held is it personal personal data or is it company data um so there's lots of variables yeah. which I think make it quite interesting. There's quite a small one that I noticed in the prosecution section for a GP practice manager and she was actually prosecuted and fined for sending personal data to her own email account without authorization. 
could be many reasons for that. She might have been planning to work on stuff at home or it might have been for dubious purposes. Um, and it doesn't say how many items of, of data she actually accessed. But she was fined £120 plus £364 costs and a victim surcharge of £30. So that's sort of on the smaller end of the scale. But actually, it's worth noting that if you've got, if you're in a, a company and you've got private data, you can't email it to yourself. You can't email it outside of the organisation, even if you're planning to use it for work purposes. You need to uh, be sure that you've got permission to do that. Well, I found some interesting stats um, today about the number of employees uh, who are using personal devices for work. Yeah. So they're actually... um, you know, they've got their own phone, uh, so there will be information undoubtedly on their personal phone that arguably is outside of the uh, remit of the GDPR compliance within the organisation. Um, and I think that, that that in itself is quite interesting. Um, and I, I also started thinking, the more that I was... Um, researching this i started wondering how many organizations actually put this on their standard agendas for board meetings well it's expected now Mm. it's expected to be up there and and discussed at the same sort of level as health and safety but i remember a time when health and safety would appear on the agenda and people would just go oh yeah well no no actually (laughs) it's on there for a reason it's it's often the top item on on a board meeting and i guess that this i hope um that this um, becomes more important more quickly. Uh, but the um, I found a couple of really interesting um, reports and one from a, a company called itgovernance.co.uk and they have come up with a data breach survival guide and, um, and they're thinking very much about how information comes out of the organisation but also protection of your, your own information um, because you might be attacked. Um, and all sorts of really simple things like um, most things are attributed to staff. You know, something it's human error yeah. that causes these issues. And it can be things as simple as failure to use blind copy when sending. You know, how many times do you receive an email? And everybody everybody's else's email yeah, on there. Well, that, that is a data breach. And that, hap- that must happen loads of times. Um Data posted or faxed faxed, uh, to the incorrect recipient. Get a number wrong. Yeah. Get a postcode wrong. I don't know what the onus is on the Royal Mail. Imagine if you address something, because we get people's incorrectly addressed mail. So what's what's the situation there? Is that a data breach by the Royal Mail? I don't know. No, it's by the company that sent it. But what if it's got the correct address on it? Oh. Do you know what I mean? I write your address on a letter. Now. Yeah. Anyway, I've got but a couple of a big a finds as well to share here. So Bounty UK were fined four hundred thousand pounds for sharing personal data unlawfully. Now I understand that sort of sharing names that they've got on their database with other companies, which now you can't do. It used to be a fairly standard thing that you did years ago yeah. to make a bit of extra money. Yeah, You'd yeah. sell your database, um, and also a television company has been fined one hundred and twenty thousand pounds for unfair and unlawful filming in a maternity clinic. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So presumably they didn't get everybody's permission to do the filming there. 
Oh, why? I, why would you even do that? I, it, yeah. <laughs> and there's one more resource on the ICO website, which I, I thought was really interesting, is their audit reports. Now, last year, the emphasis for the ICO tended to be looking at, at these reports on advisory visits, and they're just starting to be more regularly audits. So they're going into organisations. But the full audit report is on there. So you can see what the scope of their audit is. And if you think that, you know, you'd like to be ready for an audit by the ICO, you can go on and have a look and see how other people have been audited. That's the standard you're going to be measured against. So it's well worth going on there and having a look. The section's called Actions We Have Taken. I don't know if you had a look at the uh, Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. Um, they carried out a survey of approximately a thousand businesses and charities uh, and they have come up they've written reports cyber security breaches survey reports and there's micro and small businesses findings charities large organizations and I'm not normally a great one for this type of data but I was drawn in by some of the stuff that they're talking about uh They're there as PDFs, easy to download. It's a project that they did in conjunction with the University of Portsmouth um, and Mori. And and yeah, as I say, they look at identifying risks, what are the types of risks, the sizes, the scales, etc. So um, really interesting report. Now, I'm just turning to, we've got a guest in the studio today, Charlie Davis. He's uh, he's studying and he's here on a, a work placement. Yes, five-week work placement here at Callum. And he, he made the mistake, perhaps, of sitting in on our show and telling us that he was doing a business and management degree. Yes, so I've uh, <laughs> been roped in, roped into the show today. So my question for you is, this GDPR is a big thing. It has been for the last 18 months or so. Um, do you learn about it on your degree? Yes, we do learn Yay. about the general principles of it, but we don't go into you know, the specifics. That's for you to do at your um, own time or what have you. But it is obviously due to it being uh, newer legislation, it is uh, obviously very important to uh, have a grasp. And, and what topic does it fall under when you discuss GDPR? Um, I think it would be um, managerial... Um, Governance Proceed. or yes, yeah, it's uh, governance procedures and protocols. So it would yeah. be be under that. Excellent stuff. Mm. That's good to hear, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. It is. In other news this week, a story that caught my eye was an article on the BBC News website, um, and the headline caught my caught my eye. I turn off the doorbell when I work from home, and I thought, what's all that about? And it got me thinking about home working, flexible working, and some of the benefits of working at home. The Office for National Statistics believes that by this time next year, uh, up to 50% of UK employees will be working remotely at some point during their working week. And you hear lots of stories about, oh, yeah, working from home in inverted commas. Yeah, what you mean watching the TV and just checking your emails. But in actual fact, uh, there are there's data that suggests that actually staff feel more productive when they work from home, uh, that they their stress levels are reduced, partly because they don't have the commute to work, uh, partly because they don't have the cost of the commute to work, and partly because they reap the benefit of the financial benefits of not paying to travel to work. Uh, and I know I've certainly had jobs where travelling 
made, you know, the cost of traveling made up quite a significant chunk of my earnings. So I, I decided to have a little bit, um, a little bit of a delve and see what, what this is all about. Flexible working um, requests came into play in June 2014. And if you've worked continuously for 26 weeks for your employer, you are entitled to ask to work flexibly. And that could do with your hour. That could be to do with the hours, number of hours you work, the time of your hours and the place of work. Now, of course, they can refuse, but increasingly employers are attracted to the idea of having some of their workforce off-site working at home, not least because it means that they can reduce the amount of office space that they need to have available because you might have some hot desking, etc. So there are huge savings to be made there. Uh, and I, beyond that then, I saw some survey results, uh, a survey that Monster the well-known jobs website did. They surveyed five and a half thousand employees um, and they looked at um, how often they're working from home. 40% of people who responded are working from home at least one day a week. Um, 59% said they feel more productive. But interestingly, 47% said that they their employer has no home working policy in place. And the ACAS website uh, has some guidelines around what you should be doing if you've got home workers. Yay for ACAS. Yay for ACAS. And one of the things is making sure that you've got a home working policy in place. So, um, so food for thought there. And the report, the home working process report, the ACAS website, it's straightforward, easy to follow. And it also looks at some of the benefits that you as an employer um, might um, have if you allow people to work from home from time to time. Not practical, obviously, if somebody is a cashier in a supermarket. That's going to be a bit more difficult. <laughs> and your policy could be, actually, we can't allow home Yes, working. exactly. But, but certainly food for thought and something that is sort of bumbling around uh, in the news at the moment. Tracy, what did, what's caught your eye this week? There's a few things caught my eye, but um, I'm going to start. And if I've got time, I'll, I'll finish with something else. But Fuel Ventures, an investment company, surveyed 3,000 business owners and found that more than two-fifths of company founders are forced to buy their co-founders out of the business due to rifts and power struggles oh and the most common reason for the founding teams to split was a difference in opinion for the company's direction and more than two-thirds of the respondents to the survey selected this option the second most common reason for a split in a founding team was that the founders didn't feel their co-founder reciprocated their beliefs and values. And that, that was 18%. So that's quite a, a big step down. Big communication issues here, yes, Heather. Yes. I, I feel there's a, a job um, vacancy here yes, for you. Yes, a mediation before yeah. we get to the point where they've... Uh out. And when they asked the founders whether they would consider co-founding again, nearly three quarters said that they would not. Wow, that's quite a stat. And it, the ones that said that they did, 81% said they would only do it with someone they knew extremely well. See, I'd never do it with somebody I knew extremely well in case it was the end of a beautiful friendship. That's a really good point. It's yeah. too risky, isn't it? Yeah. Don't work with children or animals. Your loved ones. <laughs> yes. 
I thought oh. you were going to say divorce was one of the main reasons. but uh. <laughs> well, That probably is as mm. well, but that, that's a wider scale, mm. lack of uh, communication mm. perhaps. Uh, the other thing that caught my eye is the Chartered Institute of Credit Management announced action on some companies who failed to meet the standards of the prompt payment code. 17 companies were actually removed or suspended from the code in the last quarter. Now, the companies that have signed up for this code have pledged to uphold its best practice for payment standards, uh, particularly paying small businesses. And this includes a commitment to pay 95% of all supplier invoices within 60 days. So five have been removed from the code for non-compliance and then not providing a plan for how they will work to meet the code's commitment. So they've just dropped out altogether. So I'm, I'm going to name and shame them. They are BHP Billiton, a global resources business, DHL, a logistics business, GKN PLC, an aerospace and automotive components business, John Sisk and Son Limited, an international construction company, Twining and Company Limited a purchaser and seller of tea, coffee and other beverages. And 12 businesses have been suspended, but they've committed to make changes to meet the code again. So I'll only very briefly go through them. That's Atos, IT Services, Balfour BT, British Sugar, Costain, NG Services, Interserve Construction and Interserve Group, Kellogg Brown and Root, Lango Rourke, Persimmon Homes, Rolls-Royce PLC, SSE and Vodafone. So I thought that was really rather interesting. And a lot of the work that the Small Business Commissioner is doing may be starting to pay off. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. I think I've got time to just mention one more thing. Please do, yes. really fascinated do. me. Apparently, Apple have bought more than 20 companies since November. Oh, do they say who they are? Well, that's the interesting thing. Tim Cook said this in an interview with CNBC earlier this week. Um However, the articles that I've read only know of six of them. Fourteen have sort of gone unnamed and unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Tim Cook says they acquire companies for talent and intellectual property. And at that rate, they buy a new company every two or three weeks on average. So the ones that they know of are Laserlike, Stamplay, Pullstring, Data Tiger, Platoon and Silk Labs. So, I think I've heard of Silk Labs, but I don't think I'd heard of any of the others. Silk Labs is um, artificial intelligence software. Ah, uh, that might be. We might have covered that in <laughs> the past. We may well have done. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's, that was the, all the things that took my interest this week, Heather. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Tracy. And coming up, we have uh, a book review this week and we have a profile on somebody whose career has taken quite a change in direction. You're listening to The Business Community on Kalana FM. Now it's time to review a book. And this week it was sent to me by a former guest on The Talking Business Show. So from a few years ago, a gentleman called Martin Murphy. He's um, written a book called Mercenaries to Missionaries, which might sound a little unusual until I tell you that he has got a background of special forces experience and as a former Special Forces soldier and international security consultant, he's got some good stories to tell. Hasn't he just? He really has. And um, 
The book is about leadership and what he does is he brings in a whole range of leadership theories and his own thoughts and he puts his stories, his unusual, they are unusual life experiences, unless you've been in special forces yourself, the chances are you won't have had a similar life experience. And he uses these stories to add another dimension to those theories and opinions about leadership. And it, it just gives a memorable perspective. And my very quick review of it, if I was going to say it in three words, it's kept me engaged. Mm, yes. <laughs> because the stories. A lot of this theory I've heard of before and you know, read in another textbook or heard somebody do a talk about. Martin pulls it together. He puts his own thoughts on it. But it really is these fascinating ways that he brings the theory to life by these experiences in, in special forces. It comes across as an incredibly authentic book. He, he's written it with himself fully in that book. And I'd say it's a good mix of theory and practical advice. So he doesn't just do stories and theories. He actually does give some pointers in there as well. I have one negative to say about it, and it makes me feel better that I'm agreeing with the person who wrote the foreword, John Davidge, who says that, that that it's three books in one. I, I feel the same way. It could easily be stripped out into three. I found, I found it too much. Everything that was in it was really interesting and really valuable, but yes, I would have preferred it in three bite-sized chunks. Uh, but that probably says more about my attention span <laughs> than it does about the uh, the quality of the of the the book. But um, on a positive note, though, I, if if uh, Martin did do that and split it into smaller sections and sold them as a series, I wouldn't have felt shortchanged with just one third of that book. Mm-hmm. I think the the idea of had, adding in his stories and experiences with the theory is a brilliant one. Yes. And and I would have been quite happy to have bought it three times for three different um takes on leadership theory. Yeah, I mean it's I think it's the stories that that really bring it to life and and you know and they are varied and 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 have actually made me consider reading a book just about somebody who's been in the special forces never mind the the leadership um angle because it just sounds amazing and i don't think there are any other examples where the two have been joined together um and if they have not it's not, passed us by it's ju- yeah. yes it's it's just it just works it just works um what what he does is he talks us through he, he likes his acronyms so um yeah lots of you know core conditions for success um develop a hero mindset um who's got the power the mission power model so there are lots of you could take each of the chapters and, and work on them just as a sort of standalone, really, even though they all, all join together um, through a common thread. Um, there's one little story that he starts to talk about different paradigm shifts and uh, he works his way through all of them. And I won't um, I won't spoil um, spoil it for you. But there's there's uh, there are a couple of things. One um, transformational shift. If we look at Marks and Spencer today, we see its clothing sales have repeatedly collapsed and threatened the whole ship over the decades. The clothing label has experienced many short lived recoveries only to come to the brink of collapse again. Marks and Spencer's you know, food business for them has grown and grown. Many businesses which have been around for 100 years or more have had to completely transform what they're doing. Think about 3M. It started off in mining. The founder of Avon Cosmetics sold books originally, but they evolved becoming masters of paradigm shifting. 
And I think that, you know, that that just reminds us that, you know, you can't stand still. But I must, can I just tell you the story about the baboon? Because, um, uh, yeah, I don't read many stories about baboons. This is about letting go. There's a tribe of Bushmen in the Kalahari Desert who have a novel approach to finding water. They first dig a small hole in a termite mound in front of a troop of watchful baboons. Then they push some seeds into the hole, walk away and wait. Local baboons, being inquisitive animals, cannot help but go over to the hole to discover what's in there. A baboon will insert its hand through the small opening and grasp hold of the seeds. The only problem now for for the baboon is that its fist is too large to exit the hole. So they capture the baboon and they feed it salt so it gets really thirsty and then it runs off to find the nearest water supply and that means that they follow him and have tracked down the nearest water supply. (laughs) You see, those sort of stories are brilliant and I didn't pick out anything quite as um, vivid as that for for the sections I chose. Uh, First of all, I chose a whole chapter. One of the chapters I really liked um, was the chapter six, the three core skills. Not saying I didn't like the other chapters, mm. but that one was was really um, re- really on point for where I am at the moment. Um, and it, the three core skills are making great decisions, being creatively brilliant and collaborating powerfully. And I thought it was beautifully written. It, it just talked through some theory and then it talked through practical advice and it was a really neat little chapter. But a couple of things I pulled out... Um, Um, Business owners often act like a founder, entrepreneur or manager when they need to behave like a leader. They require the skills that enable them to leverage the potential of a team of people to achieve a common purpose. But becoming an effective and inspirational leader requires the learning of some fundamental and powerful leadership principles. And he talks about the, the fact that, you know, an entrepreneur starts off as a mercenary but it has to develop into, into this leadership role mm. over time. Otherwise, their business um, won't won't thrive. And I think that that's been obvious in, in businesses uh, through time, hasn't mm. it? If you can't actually evolve your management style and lead or, or employ somebody who does that for you, then ultimately you're just going to keep on repeating the entrepreneurial um, style and, and won't ever grow. And he also mentions that whole thing that as an entrepreneur, you often start off on your own and then you might get somebody to help you and you get to a, a team of 10 and that's a real game changer then. The business is very different because you can't be doing all the doing. You've got a team of 10 and it's that it's the whole letting go, recognising the strengths of others and becoming that that missionary who's trying to um, improve people and improve, make the world a better place, I guess. So in um, in summary, we recommend this book. Yes. However, you've got a caveat on that because we read the Kindle version. What would you recommend? Heather? I, yeah, I, I, it's a, again, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's me. I'd rather have the hard copy. Now, I can't, you know, there's a limit to how many books I can get on my bookcase. It's getting out of hand now. So the Kindle version, I wanted to mark all sorts of things. I've ended up lifting. There are loads of quotes in the book, for example. I've ended up lifting some of those quotes and printing them out um, so that I've I've got them because... I want the hard copy. Now, I don't think you get a better recommendation than that. If Heather wants the hard copy, it means she likes your book because she wants to underline it. She wants to put post-it notes in it and she wants to carry it around with her as a resource. So Mercenaries to Missionaries by Martin Murphy gets a thumbs up from 
both Heather and myself. And that will be on our website. So you'll go to the blog, uh, episode 57 we're on today. And 67. 67, yeah. yeah. And um, there'll be all the links on there for the book. And also there is a big long list of all the books that we've ever talked about on the show. And if you click on there and you end up buying it from Amazon, we'll get about three pence. And all of those three pences add up to enable us to keep our SoundCloud account open. Our profile this week is of um, a gentleman who, when Tracy mentioned his name, I I had to say, who's he? Um, And she soon put me straight. He uh, (laughs) he's the lead singer of a heavy metal band that I've heard of, but I'm not really into heavy metal. So my knowledge of Iron Maiden is fairly limited. Um, We we yeah, very limited. Um, the lead singer is, of course, Bruce Dickinson, for those of you who are fans. He's an English, English singer, songwriter, musician, airline pilot, entrepreneur, author and broadcaster. Who knows what he does in his spare polymath. time? Polymath. A polymath, yes. Yes. Born in Worksop in Nottinghamshire. Um, he started off doing, the, you know, the pub circuit uh, and then things grew and um, an Iron Maiden was born. He is quite well known for for flying. This, was it a 747 or a 7? Yeah, he is a commercial pilot. He's a commercial so, pilot. Yeah, and it, Iron Maiden have got a, their own a jet. jet. Yeah. And he used to fly it. The idea of flying your your colleagues your around. Your band, yeah. Yeah, it is, um, yeah it's, it's Boeing 747. 747. Ed Force One, it's called. There we go. There we go. So, um, yeah, so we started having a, a little look around. And um, when I spotted that there was a connection with um, the Brewers, Robinson's Brewery, my ears pricked up a little bit. And I thought... <laughs> How that, to get Heather yeah, interested. Yes, if there's if there's alcohol involved, um, <laughs> you know. And, and So he he was... They were approached... I, I, I watched a TED Talk, uh, a, a talk on YouTube, um, and he mentioned that they were the band was approached by um, Robinson's and they said, oh, we... We um we we've had a great idea. What about um what about producing a red wine named after Iron Maiden? And he said, "Well, to be honest, we're not really a red wine kind of a band." <laughs> and uh, they said, "Okay, okay. Well, what about a beer?" And he says, "That's much more like it." And within six months, uh, they'd sold six million pints of the beer. Wow! Uh, and it, coincidentally. It's the sixth birthday of the Trooper beers, which are the Iron Maiden beers today, which is available in Morrison's in Wrexham, if you're listening locally. So I imagine it's going to be available in Morrison's all over the country. You've done your research, Heather. On the beer, yes, on the beer. (laughs) But you will have done more research on the man. What have you found, Tracy? (laughs) Well... He truly is a polymath. So he's an actor. Um, he's He's been in Nightmare on Elm Street 5, um, Bean, I don't know what that is, and Bride of Chucky, so horror. Um, he's also um, a fencer. He was a professional fencer. What, putting up fences? No, he was on the United Kingdom's Olympic fencing team. And he turned down the opportunity to... Um, to actually participate in the Olympics because he was on tour with Iron Maiden. And he's also written two novels, and I'm not quite sure what these ones are, but The Adventures of Lord Iffy Boatrace and Missionary Position. 
But he okay. has. There is another book that's more more recent one called What Does This Button Do? And this is one where he shares his recollections of childhood and school and joining Iron Maiden and his solo career and his aviation. And he's had tongue cancer. And he's he's it's so much to write about when you just sort of Google Bruce Dickinson and so many things come up. Bruce Dickinson beer, Bruce Dickinson watches, Bruce Dickinson oh, yeah, the watches, pilot. Yeah. yeah so um, with um, a company called Matt Watches, a French company, they, they make quite exclusive aviator and military watches. They designed the Bruce Aris Quartz pilot's watch which and looks really expensive it looks lovely there's a little 10 minute youtube video of him explaining how they came up with this and where the idea came from i have to say he's a really good speaker he is. and so it's um another thing that shows up when you do a search for bruce dickinson is he's on lots of speakers uh, websites and there are a number of different youtube clips of him doing talks so i think if you're looking for somebody a bit different to do an inspirational talk well he's certainly different but he's got such a, a wide range of interests and he just seems to go for it it is really fascinating apparently he's worth in the region of 115 million dollars but the reports across the internet vary but uh, that's the one that was quoted most often and then of course i went to look at company's house and there are 15 current appointments for paul bruce dickinson which is his real name uh-huh. so the uh, cardiff operating group Goldilocks Space, uh, Windhorse Aerospace, Maiden Comics, they're comics based mm. on Iron Maiden pictures, MBH Aviation Holdings, Carvet, Cardiff Aviation Training, Maiden Audio, which are headphones specifically for fans of rock and metal, Maiden Brews, May, Iron Maiden Touring, Flystar Aviation, Real World Simulator, he teaches flight simulators on the weekend apparently, Iron Maiden Duelist Film Productions, Duelist Production and Duelist Holdings. So he's absolutely he's, unique, yeah, I think he is. is the way to and, say it. And that comes across in his delivery style. I've, I've watched a few talks. Uh, he's very relaxed. He's got a great sense of humour. Um, he doesn't take himself too seriously, but I think he, he, he takes what he does very seriously. Um, one that I watched on YouTube, it's had 35,000 viewers, um, from 2016 where he talks about the band and the brand and how any business you might not be a band but you will have a brand and he talks a lot about turning customers into fans because customers have a choice a customer can go elsewhere once they're a fan they are loyal yeah and they remain with you whether it's your product or whether it's your music or whatever it might be um and, and Iron Maiden have been going for 30 odd years exactly. and they've got an amazingly loyal fan base, yes. haven't they? Yeah. And what he's saying is because of that, they're seeing lots of younger people come into their gigs, which you wouldn't expect. You'd expect it to be men of a certain age, you know, with ponytails and sort of, you know, leather jackets, etc. But he says that the loyalty within that fan base has passed on to young people. And in fact, our guest in the studio, um, when we asked him if he knew who Bruce Dickinson was because I didn't what did you say I'm aware of Bruce Dickinson and it was um believe it or not actually uh through the uh trooper and your dad likes Iron Maiden he does so he's a fan so he'd introduced me to the music but then I'd obviously seen the um trooper L and I wanted to know a bit more about it which then led me on to Iron Maiden but 
you never know, I could could be one of those younger people who may turn up to a gig. Yeah, see? And that's that's loyalty. That's And, and, and what Bruce says is that it's the integrity of the band that has remained through what they did, you know, like we're not really a red wine kind of a band. It's it's And they've never sold out. They've developed and they've built around what they've got, but they've never sold out. And I think that's sound yeah. advice for any business. There was a nice insight into his personality in an interview in Forbes magazine that I read as well. Um, a journalist called John O'Bacon clearly liked the man. He, he clearly had a good interview. And uh, he said that at the end of this interview, uh, he was able to see that he had an ability to bridge and communicate his ideas across different disciplines and he has teams of people working for him who bring together all the different capabilities he needs but he's got the ability to get them to work together so a definition of a leader yeah as we were just talking about yeah yeah and um he, he concludes his article by saying after my conversation with him i've come to the conclusion that renaissance man doesn't really cut it dickinson is a cocktail of different elements a polymath a creative a fan a critic and of course an entrepreneur his diversity of both experience and experiences shape a truly fascinating character he's approachable enthusiastic and kind mm. Well, that's praise indeed. Indeed, yes. Yeah, did you find any quotes? I've got one quote. It's short and sweet. Um, Some days you're the pigeon, some days you're the statue. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? (laughs) I have one. It's not as good as that. Um, When asked what advice he would give to up and coming entrepreneurs, he says... Understand how hard this is going to be. And if the project fails, accept it as part of your learning curve. There is a reason why it didn't work. And whilst luck may play a part, it's usually failing businesses that have the worst luck. Funny that. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.